One of the many great things about following football is the experience of being part of a large crowd. That is certainly the opinion of Ray Coggan, a lifelong Arsenal fan who runs themed taxi tours in London. For many supporters, it's, um, it's so much in your blood when you follow a particular team. It becomes so important. Or, you know, to quote Bill Shankly, football's not just a matter of life and death. It's much more important than that. I'll give you an example. The 79 Cup final. Manchester United playing Arsenal at Wembley. Arsenal cruising 2-0 up. Five minutes to go. Manchester United get a goal back. And it was a time when we, you know, we should have been three or four up. But... Um, you think, well, OK, there's only a few minutes to go, just hang on. And then, of course, that um, Sammy McElroy dribble ends up getting the equaliser with three minutes to go. And you have, you cannot imagine the despair. We were just t totally deflated. I was with my sister, my wife, my sister's boyfriend at the time, and we were all, we had shirts on, I think they were four, five, six, seven on the back. And um, I just remember everybody slumped down. They just sat down thinking, we've thrown it away. And then we kick off again. And then we get Liam Brady charging down the left and Graham Ricks out to Ricks. He crosses the ball across to Alan Sunderland who bundles the ball in for the winner. And as they were, as the ball was going along, I've dragged my wife and my sister up by their collars to stand up just to catch it, the ball coming across, and see the goal that won the cup. And so you've gone from despair to utter delirium in, in a minute. Just incredible. I mean, we're virtually in tears. It went from tears of despair to tears of joy. It was just, you know, unless you're there, you can't really explain it in words. Author Tobias Jones had the same problem in writing his book Ultra, the underworld of Italian football. His first love was Everton, but since moving to Italy, he has also grown fond of his local team, Parma, and Cosenza, whose hardcore fans provide much of the material for the book. It's one of the things in the book that was hardest to put into words was that euphoria that I feel, and we've all felt it, when you are in a crowd, all singing the same song, all facing the same way, looking at the same spectacle, expressing your, your virulent disdain for the people the other side of the pitch, um, it, it is intoxicating and it's, it's almost even more intoxicating when you're outside the stadium, when you are marching as a unit, as a minority in a city that isn't yours, almost trying to provoke with songs and shouts and little acts of disrespect, trying to provoke the, the, the ultras from, from the home team. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's an extraordinary feeling and a lot of the ultras I spoke to say it's like a drug you know this this sort of living life on the front foot on the edge 
that feeling that you get of belonging and fraternity and um, fidelity, you know, those sort of quasi-religious words that that don't mean a lot to a lot of people anymore. You see them emerging again in in the sort of the the undergrowth of the ultra world. You know, sacrifice, presence. These sort of words which wouldn't be out of place in a church. Italian football has also featured in the professional life of Richard Whittle, who provides English commentary for games in the country's top division, Serie A. He grew up in Northern Ireland, where the most popular teams for kids of his generation were Celtic, Rangers, Liverpool and Manchester United. He chose Leeds United, but fell in love with Roma when he moved to Italy. His favourite match at the Olimpico Stadium was in April 2018, when Roma faced Barcelona in the Champions League. Roma had lost 4-1 in the first leg. And this, for me, summed up what it's like to go to a football match and the feeling. We've all been to football matches where you walk along, today's not going to be our day, and their heads are down. You know, you're already lost before you go in. You know, you're, you know, you're hoping, but, you know, it's not, well, we'll be lose this match. But there was this amazing electricity which you get at the big matches or a match that means something. It could be any any team, of course. But you just feel this, something is going to happen tonight. Or this is, we're going to be, it's going to be history. Something is going to happen. And that was that moment. Outsiders just such positivity amongst all the fans. Everyone was positive. Everyone was getting behind the team. The, the uh, Olympic Stadium was full. The club anthem was sung um, with such passion that w- you, you just felt it was going to be one of those nights where not, you couldn't lose. And there's been so not so many of those times going to a football match, but when there's the electricity in the air, there's a feeling everyone's together. Everyone's walking towards the ground, but everyone's walking in the right direction for a victory. And those are the moments that that really stand out. And that moment against Barcelona, remember, you know, forever that night. It was just amazing. And... Again, you get in there and all, especially in Italy with the passion and the screaming and the tears and the hugs and the kisses. You know, it's everything that, you know, even this little guy from Northern Ireland still gets goosebumps about, you know, this total um, moment where you're just outside of yourself and, you know, nothing, nothing matters. You know, anything could be happening in the world, but this is the centre of the world. Roma won the game 3-0 and went through to the next round by virtue of having scored more away goals. Watching Barcelona lose in the Champions League was also a great moment for advertising executive and filmmaker Jamie Ambler. He began life supporting Manchester United, but became more interested in Milan, or AC Milan, as they are known internationally, when he moved to Italy. He was at the San Siro Stadium when Milan won 2-0 against Messi and co in February 2013. I think that when you're in the crowd and you become a part of the crowd and you scream like the crowd, um, there's an incredible power 
that you feel. Uh, I, I can only imagine what it must be like on the pitch to score a goal and have the reaction of, you know, 80,000 people. I mean, there were, I think, 79 or 81,000 people that night I went. And it felt like 200,000. There's just an electricity of so many people fixated on that little ball. <laughs> and, and it's just, it's amazing. And people of all ages, uh, you know, grandpas to kids of 12 years old, to eight years old, sometimes they bring their kids over and everybody's dressed in the same color and these huge flags being waved. Sometimes they do the flares so you couldn't even see the pitch. Um, it was something very um, archaic in a way. Um, it sort of goes back to sort of probably, you know, Roman times or whatever, you know, sort of going back to the Colosseum. It's, it's something very tribal and very uh, communal at the same time. And, and people actually seem to care for each other. Like, it's very strange. In in the UK, there's a lot of violence. People were scared. And when I went, anyway, I'm sure it's changed a lot now. But but there was a real camaraderie and, um, you know, very much singing together. Um, and I think um, the flags and the, the, the songs singing together is incredibly uh, moving, actually. Very moving. Very moving, actually. Singing is also important for teacher Barry Murgatroyd, who has been a Liverpool fan since he was a child in the 1950s. Certainly when you're there in the crowd, the home crowd, the feeling is you're kind of part of a community and part of a huge family. Um, and you're far away from the opposition or at the other end, so you, you feel safe. And yes, the family thing is very strong. And I'm not surprised a lot of people who are perhaps lonely it says we'll go to a football match in a very mild way i mean i, I sing as as uh, part of a choir for, for for the school and i get the same feeling being part of the choir be, being part of a community we're all acting together we're all pulling in the same direction we're all supporting the same aim and i think you know there, there are lots of situations where that kind of real close-knit unity and family feeling comes into it. But it certainly, yeah, it's very true in football, it certainly comes into it. Historian Blair Worden is part of the same generation. He began supporting the team from his father's birthplace, Blackpool, as a child in the 1950s. In those days, Liverpool were a mediocre side who subsequently became very successful. For Blackpool, it was the other way round. I think my childhood was the summit of my enthusiasm for the game. But I suppose partly because Blackpool was so good and I've had a problem that they've not been quite so good uh, since. But also, I think I reacted against it slightly in my late teens or when I was at university. I began to think, what can it matter in the world who wins a football match? It seemed, and, and I, a large part of me still thinks that. So, uh, but even so, I still get the, you know, when there are exciting moments about the playoffs or, or whatever it is, I can still get very caught up. And I saw the playoff in 2010 when they beat Cardiff 3-2 at Wembley. And it was just like being a child again. I mean, I was so excited and uh, thrilled when they finally won uh, everything. And I remember 
sitting in a row of Blackpool supporters, some of whom were totally drunk. They couldn't possibly... They were sitting helplessly in their seats. And I thought, you know, that seems absurd to pay all that money and come all this way not to be... But in fact, I think it was just sheer terror in the way that people started to get drunk on aeroplanes because they're terrified of taking off. And the, the, the tension... Before these finals, it gets into your gut, you know. Uh, I remember thinking if we'd got, if I'd gone home and they'd lost, it would have been awful. Architect Mike Taylor, on the other hand, supports Manchester City, a successful club that has had its lows. I mean, the psychology of spectating football is very complex, and I'm not well placed to sort of dissect it and analyse it. I'm sure there's lots of PhDs out there on it, but it's a complicated kind of act of transference, isn't it? Where you put your you put your happiness on a Saturday or Wednesday or whenever it is now into 11 blokes on a football pitch led by a manager who could do absolutely anything. But the only thing that is common to all fans and the team is you've got very, very, very little influence on the outcome. Apart from shouting a bit and generating a bit of atmosphere, you really have no control over it. And meanwhile, you're pinning your hopes on the success of the team. But the great thing about being in the stadium, of course, is that so is everyone else. And you all have the same emotion when it goes badly wrong or brilliantly well. You all react in the same way. And that is the sort of excitement of it, isn't it? So when things are in jeopardy, I guess, and it's all going badly or it might go well and badly, uh, yeah, you're all, your ups and downs are all shared. When it's all going fantastically well, the art of the football is extraordinary. And, you know, watching City is, uh, when they're on the, in the, at their best under Pep is, is, a, is just brilliant. I'm watching any top sporting performance. But it does also get slightly rounded off in that you're really not expecting to have a bad game and you're not that able to cope with it when it happens. And I guess that's what United fans had for, you know, a couple of decades under Ferguson, isn't it? They just expected to win everything. Um, so, yeah, it's a very different experience, but I suppose with all these teams, it comes and it goes, doesn't it? You have your moment of glory, you've waited for it, you've got to really enjoy it when it comes, and it won't last forever. Barry Fantoni, who was born in 1940, is best known for his work at the satirical magazine Private Eye. He started supporting Millwall as a child in London. He now lives in Italy, the land of his forefathers. As I've grown older, I recognise people form groups that form tribes, families. In the east end of London, they were they were actually called tribes, and they were family tribes. I remember there were outside of the Fantoni tribe, which weren't very big. There was a vast Italian family called Obatelli, and there must have been about fifty or sixty people. And they behaved tribe-like. They didn't marry outside. They all married brothers, sisters, aunts, brothers, and they were very powerful. Um, and since I've lived in in a in a to Torino and then lived in Italy, I've, I've sensed that, that the tribal mentality is very, very powerful. And of course, anything to do with tribes necessarily initiates the concept of a, of a totem, something that you support, something which is larger than the tribe itself, but also represents it. And in the modern world, football has become that for, for, for almost everybody, it seems. And the concept that, that you've got a leader a crusader with a sword and a flag and a and death in his eyes is gone now you have a you have CR7 um, or 
some other footballer who represents your side and your team and and you, you do your battles on the park by the way um cr7 is the postal address of thornton heath in london which is probably the ugliest borough in the world um i've been meaning to tell ronaldo that but i haven't had a chance to speak to him yet grant benson a radio dj who lives in switzerland grew up in watford and started going to games with his dad in the 1970s. Before the COVID pandemic struck, he would often fly back to visit his elderly mother and take in a game. Occasionally when I go back to the UK, uh, I'll find a mate who wants to come along as well. But often, you know, I, I frequently go on my own, which I don't mind at all because, one of the, I mean, I went to, to Highbury, oh, not Highbury anymore, is it? Whatever the, the new, the Emirates Stadium, Arsenal, um, a couple of years ago, um, Premiership, um, and Watford won um, at Arsenal. I think it was 2-0. And I remember, you know, I was, I was there on my own, but the um, the great bonding thing about football, there was, there was another guy next to me, similar age and what have you. We didn't we didn't speak to each other the whole game, but when the the second Watford game we did, we started hugging each other as if we were long-lost brothers who hadn't seen each other for years and years. And then immediately afterwards, that was it. You know, sort of a, a quick, you know, very British nod as we both left the stadium and no no exchange of you know hi what's your name do you want to go for a drink or anything that was and that that, that is um those are the, the fun things about football as well teacher poet and aberdeen fan sean burke also found that the camaraderie of the terraces can soon wear off he recalls an episode in glasgow where he had a few hours to kill um uh, before i met up with my friends and there was a huge crowd of Scotland fans in the in the train station. And I worked out there was a, a World Cup qualifier, a European Championships qualifier against Serbia, I think, or Croatia, one of the two. Uh, <clears throat> I thought, oh, that might be all right. And this guy just came up to me. He's like, look, do you want a ticket? I can't go. I've got to take my daughter somewhere. So I've got a, an extra ticket if you wanted. And I was like, okay. So I bought the ticket off. I went to the game and I was on my own. Uh, and when I walked out of the game, as soon as I was out the stadium, it was as if, and I because I was on my own, it was as if nothing had ever happened. The game was just erased from my mind uh, almost immediately. It was like a, like a strange kind of dream or something. And I think it was really then I realized that when you're all together with other people sharing something, it seems very, very real. It seems much more real, much realer, I suppose I could say. But then when you've got no one to share it with after, nobody to speak about it with, nobody to, to comment on it with, it just, poof, it just vanished, you know? So I think there's definitely something in the, the fact that a shared experience is, is uh, much deeper than, uh, than one where you're just on your own. Crowd psychology has been the subject of many books, including Elias Canetti's Crowds and Power, which was first published in 1960. It only briefly mentions sport, but is an intriguing study of human behaviour. Like Tobias Jones' book Ultra, it's well worth reading, as is Calcio, a history of Italian football by John Foote, who supports Arsenal. We asked him about the experience of being a football fan. It's, it's a very deep-rooted emotional attachment for a lot of people. I mean, there are lots of people nowadays, actually, who aren't really that hardcore fans. I mean, the, gr the great majority of people don't go to matches. They watch football on TV. They may support two or three teams. So I think in some ways this deep fandom is, is a thing of the past. It's dying out a little bit. Um, I think the new consumer of football is, is not so rabid 
a fan. Um, and I actually, I talked to a lot of Italian kids. I've been out to schools talking about football and they often have two or three teams. They have the local team. They'll now have one of Juve, Milan or Inter as well, um, or Napoli. So they kind of have two teams. So um, I think it's a generational thing. And why do we do it? It's, it is very, it is like a religion. It's like part of your identity. It's very much the way you can talk to people, where you can converse with other of your mates. Um, and it's, it's not just the game. It's the chat all the week and the banter and the, you know, I think it's a great way of opening up a conversation. Whenever I speak to an Italian I never spoke before, I say, who do you support? And it's, of course, you're already you have such a, a shared um, wealth of knowledge. So that's like Juventino, ah, oh, classic. I knew you'd be Juventino, uh, of course. And then you can start talking about various things or Interista or Milanista. And then sometimes there might be something weird like, you know, Cagliari or something. And then you say, why are you a Cagliari fan? And they say, oh, God, it was Kajiji Riva, you know. So I think it's such a it's such a shared conversation. And someone like Berlusconi really understood that language, that shared language that football gives to people. If you think 26 million people in Italy declare themselves to be fans, um, you know, that's one in two. Um, it's an incredible kind of patrimony of identity. And it tells you a lot about people's lives. And um, it's not everybody, but it is a lot of people. And um, I think there are various grades of fan as well. Um, but I've, I'm, I, to be honest, I'm, I'm trying to detach myself from it because I think um, I watched far too much football and I tried to... It wasn't good for me. So I'm trying to watch more cricket, for example. <laughs> And if you enjoyed that, look out for our other football podcast.